Hello, and welcome to The Dirt. This is a podcast about archaeology and anthropology. I'm Anna. And I'm Amber. And today- We're going to talk about dogs. Oh, Amber's really excited. I mean, I really love dogs too. Who doesn't love dogs? So dogs have been person's best friend for millennia. How'd that happen? Well, before we get into dogs and how they are the best, um, let's take a quick moment and talk about how- domestication happens yeah so that's something that i think we touched on very briefly with plants uh, on our episode about the ancient grains but i don't think we've talked about it for animals so domestication is a mutual relationship between animals and humans that influence their care and reproduction in this case it is people selectively breeding different species of animals for particular traits. So for example, uh, farm animals uh, wanting them to have more milk, you know, for sheep, maybe you want them to have thicker wool for horses. Maybe you want them to be able to run faster or longer. And domestication usually produces noticeable differences in skeletal morphology. So how the skeleton looks, especially in the skull. So for example, um, in wild pigs versus domesticated pigs, you see significant shortening of the snout, uh, smaller teeth. They've been bred to be less aggressive and not have those big tusks that you see male wild boars having. And it's not just farm animals being bred for food and things. We've bred animals for lots of purposes. And one of the most unique relationships that we have with a domesticated species is with the dog. Canis familiaris, or if you're thinking about them as a subspecies of wolf, Canis lupus familiaris. Where do dogs come from? Um, heaven. Do they come from heaven? Uh, no. <laughs> they. <laughs> so there's actually been a lot of research into the origin of modern dogs, and there's been a lot of debate over whether canines were domesticated uh, once or more than once. And the latest research seems to show that modern dogs were domesticated between 20,000 and 40,000 years ago. Oh, so like the past. (laughs) Thanks, science. Yeah, so within a span of 20,000 years. But uh, it's it's a little bit more um, complicated than that. So these results were published this year on July 18th in Nature Communications, And they push back against a controversial study from 2016 that suggested that dogs were domesticated twice. So let's let's talk about that earlier study first. So this is a study by Laurent France, an evolutionary geneticist at the University of Oxford in the UK. And France and his colleagues decoded the the mitochondrial DNA sequences. So that's DNA that's passed down the maternal line. And it's it's a specific kind, kind of DNA where you can really see genetic mutations over time. So they decoded the mitochondrial DNA of 59 ancient European dogs that lived between 3,000 and 14,000 years ago. So again, in the past, the team also sequenced the complete genome of a 4,800-year-old dog. I mean, the the skeleton was 4,800 years old. The dog... You know, uh, but it was it was found the dog was found in the graves of a human settlement called Newgrange in Ireland. So then the scientists compared these ancient genomes with the modern genomes of hundreds of wolves and modern dogs, um, including lots and lots of breeds and also mutts. So they included Samoyeds, Sharpays, Beagles, everything in between and including um, lots of mixed breeds. And those dogs were from Western Eurasia and East Asia. 
So the researchers found a split in the DNA that separated dogs from East Asia and Western Eurasia, roughly 14,000 to 6,400 years ago. So this divergence is several millennia, so several thousand years after the first known appearance of dogs in Europe and East Asia. So the scientists from the, the 2016 study think that this split is due to two cases of domestication from distinct wolf populations. So taking wolves and domesticating them gradually into dogs twice in two totally different areas. So at the time, France said, it's not conclusive yet. We need more information. But uh, genetics and archaeology both are, are pointing towards a dual origin of domestic dogs. And this, this follows up on a 2015 study from a researcher, uh, actually a geneticist, named Pontus Skogland. Oh, man. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> so they did the genome sequence uh, from a piece of rib bone from a 35,000-year-old wolf. And that suggests that the ancestors of today's dogs split from the ancestors of modern wolves 27,000 to 40,000 years ago. So, I mean, this is the study that first pushed the origin of dogs back to around 40,000 years. But then that 2016 study seems to have suggested that it happened around 40,000 years ago or somewhere in there and then again later on. The latest research, this 2018 study, suggests that, in fact, there was really only one domestication of wolves uh, into dogs. So, and, that, and it moves the timing back to pretty solidly as far as 40,000 years ago. And um, so this is a team that studied genomes from Neolithic dog fossils found in different parts of Germany. And this is from uh, between 7,000 years ago. They had one skeleton from 4,700 years ago. And they also looked at data from a 5,000-year-old dog specimen found in Ireland. And then the team did the same thing that the previous team had. They compared these ancient genome sequences with genetic data from more than 5,600 canids, including modern dogs and wolves. So canids, as in canine, animals that, that share uh, a family relationship in, in the canine family. So the researchers estimate that dogs and wolves diverge genetically between 36,900 years ago and 41,500 years ago. And then there was a split between Eastern and Western dogs between, okay. between uh, 17,500 years ago and 23,900 years ago. So the, the second split that happened and resulted in two different populations of dogs in, in Western Europe and then Eurasia, that was a split that happened after domestication. And so the team puts the actual event of domestication or the process rather between 20 and 40,000 years ago. Okay. So, so dogs are, are definitely a product of domestication. It's not that because we've talked before about how um, human populations and other animal populations um, when they are, are separated or for whatever reason they can become their own species like one population. So is this something where dogs definitely exist because we domesticated them or did we domesticate a species that's separate from wolves? No, it's definite that the animals that we now call dogs were once wolves. So it's, I don't think it was a population that split off. Now there's something called commensal species and those are things like raccoons and foxes that tend to 
live where people live because they uh they're scavengers to some extent and they they um populations of them can uh live off of the refuse of human populations right um and it may be that uh some populations of wolves changed their behavior on their own when when they started living around people we don't know exactly the mechanism by which wolves became dogs but we know that after a certain point it became a deliberate action by people to select traits that they wanted in these in these wolves and and those resulted in the changes that now uh cause dogs to be a subspecies of wolves because dogs okay. and wolves can interbreed that means that they're not distinct species if if two animals can interbreed and produce offspring that themselves can have babies then that's they're within the same species grouping just biologically so dogs are are essentially a subspecies of wolf is my understanding okay yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about deliberate um, selection and and sort of how long it takes for uh, dog attributes to come up. That's one of the most interesting parts of of the research that I did for this. So I'm really excited to talk about that. Um, but that's gonna be a little bit later. Yeah. So uh, so you mentioned that there was this this divide between the the West Eurasian dogs and the East Eurasian dogs, mm-hmm. um, and then some of those. East Eurasian dogs ended up in the the Americas. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah. Uh, well, yeah, they must have. Uh, but they came to North America when humans came to North America. And so there's uh, there's been research on what is called pre-contact dogs. So PCDs. PCDs. Uh, PCDs is what they're called. Um, and so there were, just as there are indigenous american populations there there were indigenous dog populations well, um, that's that's really interesting because there were there are and were north american wolves so those yeah. are two distinct so people brought dogs with them yeah and dogs by came then, with the dogs people were different from wolves yeah they were definitely dogs by the time they got to the americas um they didn't when was that um, we, well, we don't know when they got here, um, but we have, um, at least 10,000 years ago. Okay, so this wow. was, yeah. So we don't just, you know, the, the arrival of, of people in North America, um, is contentious. Um, and yeah. check out either, our episode on footprints for more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or check out our episode on hoaxes to hear about how nine and a half lost tribes of Israel and their dogs did not. <laughs> did sail not, across did the Atlantic no. <laughs> to become the Mesoamerican empires. Uh, now these dogs they they came from they came from Asia uh, into North America, mm-hmm. and so there was uh, this came out last month. There was a a, a study that was published, um, a pretty major a major study um, on the evolutionary traits of dogs and and just looking at dogs through deep time. Yeah, so they arrived in ten thousand about ten thousand years ago, um, and then they the reason why you don't see um, indigenous dogs running around the North America now is that when European colonization began in the fourteen hundreds, all the dogs were wiped out. Oh, yeah. Um, so just as there with with um, settlement and colonial and colonization of um, the Americas happening with the Europeans. 
their dogs did the same thing. Oh basically. man, that's so sad. Um, yeah. So so the one thing, man, the one way to make a genocide more upsetting is to add a dog have, genocide. There's also to it. puppies. No man. Yeah. So lead author on this study that was published in Science, uh, Dr. Laurent France, mm-hmm. our friend um, from Paleo Barn. The Paleogenomics and Bioarchaeology Research Network at Oxford. It's a good um, name. He, yeah, I know. The Paleo Barn. Like, come on down to the Paleo Barn. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, Don't mind if I do. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, he said, quote, It is fascinating that a population of dogs that inhabited many parts of the Americas for thousands of years, and that was an integral part of so many Native American cultures, could have disappeared so rapidly. Their near-total disappearance is likely due to the combined effects of disease, cultural persecution, and biological changes starting with the arrival of Europeans. (sighs) Which, I mean, I wouldn't call it fascinating so much as unsurprising and devastating, but... Yeah. It, but it is, it is, it is very interesting. And then somebody else at Paleo, at the Paleo Barn pointed out uh, the very interesting fact that the history of humans uh, in the Americas is mirrored by mirrored in the domestic animals. Yeah. So, so people in Europe and in the Americas were genetically distinct, and dogs in Europe and the Americas were genetically distinct. And he says, just as indigenous people in the Americas were displaced by European colonists, the same is true of their dogs. So they they compared the ancient and modern genomes Mm -hmm. and confirmed that the earliest North American dogs indeed um, came from Siberia. Okay. um, And and crossed into the Americas during early human migrations. And I'm going to talk about Siberian dogs in more detail in a few minutes. But first, I'm going to read you a very depressing lead to an article. And National Geographic, which the the article itself isn't that depressing, but wow, this is a way to start. Quote, some 10,000 years ago, in what is now Coster, Illinois, a dog died. Oh. (laughs) Its adopted group of hunter-gatherers carefully laid the pup to rest in its own grave among their buried human dead, curled on its side as if it were asleep. Man, I have started crying so many times just reading for this because the worst thing about dogs in the past is that those dogs died. You just let me know if you need me to take over for a minute. <laughs> but that so so 10,000 years ago, we have evidence that a pup was loved and then given a burial with its humans. Um, and that's the oldest pup in the Americas. But the world's oldest dog burial was found in 1914 in a suburb of Bonn, Germany. That's where um, Beethoven was born. Oh, yeah. These are things I know. Is this, is that a dog joke? Oh, no, it should have been, but I meant Beethoven okay. the composer. Okay, cool. Well, this is in, in Oberkassel, so I don't know if he's, if he was from the Burbs um, of Bonn, Bonn Burbs, uh, but the, the remains at this, this grave contained a dog, a man, a woman, and several decorated objects made from antler bone and teeth. Uh, it was dated back to the Paleolithic. So it was about 14,000 years ago. Very old. So here's where it gets both more interesting and more sad. That dog was a puppy. Mm. Yeah. And so a PhD student who was also a veterinarian, which like, <laughs> what a catch. Yeah. Overachiever. <laughs> yeah. Ding, ding, ding. He noticed signatures of illness while studying the remains. And so the puppy 
was about 28 weeks old when it died. Aww. And this PhD student, cum veterinarian, saw telltale signs that the puppy had canine distemper virus. It got distemper at about 19 weeks old. And distemper kind of comes and goes, right? Yeah. So it had two or three periods of serious illness. So that lasted five to six weeks. And you can see that in the teeth. Um, and so that's a very relatable story. Um, and and that's pretty sad. But it's clear that that little guy wasn't the very first dog. No, because it, it was a puppy, clearly. Uh, yeah. the, the offspring of other dogs. Yeah. So, um, And if it got distemper... It probably got it from other dogs. Other dogs, but Very so chicken and egg kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah puppy and egg situation. Yeah, the puppy um, and the egg. That old that yeah. old thing. That old chestnut. Yeah. Who who was the first dog? Well, we don't really know. But oh, <laughs> shocker! Hi, welcome to the dirt where we don't know anything. No, that was last week. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We know more about dogs than we do about medieval and early Renaissance England. So we have very, very early archaeological evidence of dogs slash wolves living with or at least not eating humans. And this is from this is from France. This is from Chauvet Cave, which is remarkable for other reasons. It's a beautiful painted cave. Um, it's one of the most well-known decorated painted caves in, in southwest France. But that's not what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about footprints again. In Chauvet Cave, the floors of the cave itself are clay, or at least were at the time that a child, barefoot and aged 8 to 10 years, standing about 4.5 feet tall, or 1.4 meters, walked through it. So the child was walking, not running, although there is evidence that at one point uh, they slipped because the footprints kind of skid, so the clay would have been soft. And researchers know that the child carried a torch because there's evidence of him or her stopping at one point to clean the torch. And there was a, a charcoal stain left behind. And so they've dated that charcoal stain and it dates to about 26,000 years ago. And along with that child's footprints are paw prints of a wolf or dog. And the animal is walking again, not running. And it's also not stalking. So it's not engaging in hunting behavior. So I saw this reported in two different ways. One was that the child was accompanied by this wolf dog, which I'm calling not because it's a, a hybrid of a wolf and dog or anything, just because it's it's really difficult to distinguish from footprints. So this is like when you when you refer to something a sheep goat? Yeah. Sheep goat bones are, are difficult to tell apart. Wolf dog footprints, also difficult. And then there was there was slightly different reporting. So what I also saw was that in, in Chauvet Cave, the footprints crossed those of bears and wolves. Also, we had pet bears, too. Well, that's the thing. Are That'd we convinced cute. that this was a child accompanied by a wolf? Or maybe that's the more compelling story, and, and wolves and bears were using the cave, and then also people were occasionally coming into the cave. So it's very, very difficult to tell. And the answer is no, he probably didn't have a pet bear, although that would make a great children's show. There's um, something I'm very fond of is in France, you know how the early humans are called Cro-Magnon, uh, or right. if you if you want to be correct in French, it's Cro-Magnon. In, in France, in a lot of the prehistory museums, there's a, a book series for kids called Cro-Mignon. Oh! Like, mignon is the word for cute or like yeah. petite. Um, so it's it's about a little a little uh, homo early Homo sapiens kid. Uh, it's Cro-Mignon. 
Yeah. That's real cute. I was not expecting. I was not ready for something that cute. <laughs> Whoa, right there in the middle of the dog episode. Hit you right in the cutes. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, well, speaking of cute. I mean, this is combination cute and problematic. So. Well. well so this is. Um, so many a, things are. Yes. Um, this is this is the, the part that I was talking about earlier about uh, direct evidence of the process of domesticating uh, canids into dogs. So this is the Russian fox study. In 1948, Soviet scientist Dmitry Believ lost his job at the Department of Fur Animal Breeding at the Central <laughs> Research Laboratory of Fur Breeding in Moscow because of his commitment to classical genetics, as in Mendelian genetics. So at the time, in Soviet Russia, Lysenkoism was state doctrine. And because it was state doctrine, disagreeing with it was risky at best. So Lysenkoism is a branch of of genetics that is named for its champion, uh, Trofim Lysenko. And it was a theory of genetic inheritance like the one developed by Lamarck. And it stated that acquired experience-based characteristics get passed down to offspring. So, uh, for so example, this was the this was the argument of giraffes have long necks because a giraffe had to keep stretching. Yeah. So, like trees got taller and taller, so giraffes had to, and and you know giraffes were eating the lower leaves, and then they couldn't reach them anymore. So a giraffe had to stretch its neck higher, and so its children had longer necks because of that. Which is wrong. That's not correct. That's not how that works. Now, it's a totally separate thing, but actually it it is becoming apparent that at least in humans, experiences do get passed along to your offspring, or at least the um, genetic memories of trauma especially can get passed on. Like famine. Yeah, famine or just periods of extreme stress. Yeah. Um, But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're going to talk about foxes. Um, So at the time... And that's way cuter than inherited trauma. Yeah. So at the time, biologists were puzzled uh, as to how dogs evolved to have different coats than wolves. So um, they couldn't figure out where these genes came from if the dogs weren't inheriting them from their ancestors. And so uh, Belayev saw a, a research opportunity in silver foxes, which are... Uh, yep, I've seen that too. <laughs> uh, nope, different kind of silver fox. Not the kind mm. you can date. Is that what you were talking about? <laughs> No, I'm just gaslighting you. Yes, go on. <laughs> I feel attacked. <laughs> so anyway, because he had been working basically at this this fur animal breeding facility, uh, he had been working with silver foxes, which are these these foxes with beautiful, like blackish gray, silvery coats that unfortunately are farmed for their fur. So, but he saw these animals as a perfect opportunity to figure out how this change in wolf coat to dog coat happened. Belayev believed that the key factor that was selected for was actually linked to behavior, not to physical characteristics at all. And so that means that as an animal is selected for being friendly or tame, qualities that you want in your dog, it also happens to have linked genetic traits for the physical qualities of its coat. So he started uh, working with fox pups, or fox, actually they're called kits. Oh, kits. Kits. So um, he started with kits at one month of age, and then continuing every month throughout their infancy, the foxes were tested for their reactions to an experimenter. So essentially, they were tested for specific qualities having to do with friendliness. The experimenter would attempt to pet and handle the fox while offering it food. 
And then, in addition, the experimenters also observed the foxes to see which ones preferred to hang out uh, with other foxes or which ones preferred the company of humans. So then, when the fox kits reached sexual maturity, they had their final test and they were assigned an overall tameness score. I get a 10 out of 10. (laughs) First, they rated each fox's tendency to approach an experimenter who was standing at the front of its pen. So, uh, basically is the fox friendly enough to see a human and go, oh, I want to hang out. They also rated each fox's tendency to bite the experimenters when they tried to touch it. So, What like, was this scale? Like one to, yep, he bit me. <laughs> it was like one to, ow. <laughs> so only those foxes who were the least fearful and the least aggressive, so they'd approach humans and they didn't mind being handled, were chosen for breeding. So they kept a control group of foxes that they weren't selecting in any way. And then they had an experimental group where they did this deliberate selection. Overall, uh, this project has continued for a long time. This was done for over 40 generations of foxes. And so in each successive generation of the experimental group, less than 20% has been allowed to breed each year. So less than 20% made the cut of friendly enough and tame enough. Also to prove his point, which I think is... It's I don't kind like of, this part. It's kind of sad, but but it's good science. Um, Belev also bred a line of foxes specifically in the reverse to be fearful and more aggressive by doing the same thing. So I mean, I mean, hopefully it's just like he's like that fox that just like bit my assistant and ran away. That one. I'm yeah, breathing. not no, like, exactly. I'm yeah. There were no like behavior. It wasn't. Oh they no, were they treated. No, right. No, no. They were just no, no. like the wildest ones. Exactly. Using and the so, exact same methods, not, yeah. not provoking fearful right. or aggressive behavior. I just like that. It's just foxes that are just jerks. <laughs> some, some foxes like alone time. Yeah. I, I, I would be in that category. <laughs> yep. She bit me. <laughs> um, so, I mean, this is this is the incredible part. Within 10 years, the experimental foxes underwent significant physical changes so not only did their temperaments change but the new generations of foxes were more eager to hang out with humans they started vocalizing in dog-like ways so they would whimper and bark to attract attention and they would sniff and lick their caretakers they had floppy ears patchy fur shorter curlier tails which they they would yeah and And they they lost they lost their musky fox smell so foxes do have this particular smell that they use to mark their territory and and these foxes seem to lose that they wagged their tails when they were happy or excited and there were also changes in the shape of foxes teeth and skulls Uh, they also had reduced fear responses to new items or situations so if they put like a a cardboard box or something in the enclosure the foxes would react with curiosity instead of automatic wariness or fear Um, and they also so similarly they had enhanced exploratory behavior in unfamiliar situations so if they were put into a room with a new person they would be more likely to go check them out rather than being aggressive or cowering so i mean this is in a really short time so if this is anything like what the process was for wolves becoming more and more dog-like then that i mean we have a window into that through this study and it's so cool yeah well and if we and also if you had these these wolves that were kind of self-selecting for this like the ones that were coming by um, by camps and by yeah by the ones that, that saw people as an opportunity rather than a yeah. threat 
the more entrepreneurial wolves got themselves <laughs> business domesticated. <wolves>. Business wolves. <laughs> They're little wolfy attache cases. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to post a few videos uh, on our social media, mostly the Facebook page and our, and our website, linking to that. Um, there are some great videos of, of pet foxes in general, but also f- uh, videos from the, the Belief study. They're just so, it's really interesting, but it's also so cute. Little foxes wagging their tails. Oh, I know. That's very cute. And they have oh, such gosh. long, fluffy tails. It's it's a I really know. it's a good wag. What a good wag. <laughs> oh gosh. Do you okay. need to go hug well, your dog? I yeah, I might well well, I might after like these next two stories. Okay. Get your um, tissues ready. Yeah. Oh man. So we're now um, we're going into into literature? Yeah, yeah. So I thought um it might be fun to do a roundup of representations of dogs in the ancient world. And I'm going to, it's just sort of a grab bag because turns out dogs have been trending for a long, long time. They're so hot right now. So, so hot forever. <laughs> um, well, apparently for the last 20 to 40,000 years. Who knows? Um, we don't. Yeah. So this is just um, a roundup of a few. A few really a, good boys. Yeah. A few very good boys and girls. And um, some other like cool stuff that I found that is sort of lenses into the relationship between humans and dogs. All right, hit uh, me in the past. Yeah. So the first one is the best boy in all of literature. <laughs> oh. So so this is um this is from the Odyssey. The the famous Greek epic poem. Yes. So so the the epic poem The Odyssey telling the story of Odysseus um who was trying to get home to the island of Ithaca after the Trojan War. Um he was in the he, Trojan War for he tried 10 for years. For a really long time. Yeah, and at some points he tried harder than others, but he he spent ten years in in the Trojan War, and then it took him ten years to get home. So that's sort of the setting up the Odyssey for you. Um, and as you know, and as many people who may have seen the the teaser video this week, um, my little dog, she's also from the Odyssey. So her name is Calypso, and she's named after the the nymph at the beginning she's of the Odyssey. A little nymph. Yeah. Well, it's because she uh, seems to have an interest in middle-aged Mediterranean men and freaks out when they leave. Um, that's why she's called Calypso, because I brought her home and she instantly got attached to my dad. <laughs> I didn't know that part of the story. <laughs> so that's why Calypso is a Calypso. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> But there is a dog in the in the Odyssey itself, um, and his name was Argos. And Argos was Odysseus's dog, whom he adopted as a puppy. So Odysseus had his puppy Argos, and then he was away for twenty years. And when Odysseus returns to Ithaca, because uh, he comes back because uh, there are like all these dudes scamming on his wife Penelope, and they had been the whole time, and they're trying to like marry her um, and she's like no, no no Odysseus is coming back and so when he comes back he's he's basically ambushing all these guys and so he comes disguised as a beggar the only one that recognizes him for who he is is Argos and Argos has been waiting for his human to come home the whole time and so knowing that Odysseus finally made it back to Ithaca safe um, Argos wags his tail one last time and curls up and passes away and I 
man, I like was typing up the note, the, the, the script for this. And I was like crying as I did. And I had to go get my dog and be like, you are so good. Um, (laughs) But that's, um, that's a very moving. uh, And also you have to think about when Homeric epics were, were told they were recited. And so you ha- you wouldn't hear the whole thing because it's like 24 books. Um, but they would be like, tell us this part. Like, wh- what about this scene? And so somebody would be like, tell us about the dog. And it's like all it would be like people like partying, be like out of like they're like drinking their wine and eating. And they have the the poet being like, oh, tell us about Argos. And then like he just belts out this like dog tearjerker, um, which it's like the real like Marley and me of, oh, man. of the Bronze Age. Let me just weep <laughs> quietly into my cup of wine. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's another very good boy in in literature. So um, in the Mahabharata, an it, Indian a, epic. Yes, it's an it's a different epic from a different continent, uh, and it and it's thought to have first been compiled in the eighth or ninth century BCE, um, and towards the end of it, it's following. Um, King Yudhishthira um, on his pilgrimage to his final resting place. Um, and so his party is coming with him. Um, and this dog starts like following them. And so he ends up befriending this dog. And along the way, everybody kept falling off and, and passing away. And so when he finally gets there, like when he we finally approaches this this destination where he can pass on to the afterlife. It's only uh, Yudhishthira and the dog. It's just the two of them. So they're still trucking along and Indra descended from heaven in his chariot and was like, dang, like Yudhishthira, like you're like, you've really got it. Like, just like get on in my chariot and let's go to heaven now. And Yudhishthira says like, nope, the dog's got to come with me. Not without my dog. And Indra says, nope. that's not possible. All cannot attain heaven. The dog is old and thin and has no value. No dogs so allowed. Like, no dogs allowed. Yudhishthira says, in that case, I do not seek heaven. That dog was my faithful companion and I cannot abandon it. It sought my help and gave me unconditional love. The pleasures of heaven will mean nothing to me in comparison to its grief. It has done nothing to deserve abandonment and had none of the weaknesses of my wife and brothers. Which, like because they died yeah (laughs) like if it doesn't deserve to go to heaven then neither do i and so he turned around uh but it turns out the dog was none other than the deity dharma and it was a test of yushthira's virtues which i assume he passed yeah and he was like good looking out man like that story hits me in the feels too dogs are great yeah and so uh pushing a little bit even further east um, into um, ancient China, well, what is now China, so it, it, ancient East Asia, dogs had several functions, and those functions changed over time and across different groups. Yep. Um, but those functions included food, a means to getting food, and friends. In what is now China, so so much of East Asia at one point or another was under a single empire, but through all of that, uh, up through today, there are several ethnic groups and many societies and some of them had taboos against eating dog meat but others raised dogs for meat uh, but that was like a reserve for wealthy and important diners and in some places there um, were initially rituals that involved sacrifice of dogs you know if you finished a palace 
or or something. It was like a like a oh man, yeah, like um, it was a big deal. They were like the, the like dog big, sitting there, like you want to put on another extension? Yeah, yeah, like big ticket sacrifices. Uh, but over time, um, real dogs were replaced by straw dogs. That's very nice. So they would make dogs out of straw and uh, burn them. Uh, but a f- a very cool fact that I found is that. Um, in terms of old Chinese characters, um, right, the the pictograms. Yeah, yeah. So in the the pictograms, the the word for, uh, I mean, it's a tonal language. So I'm not even bother saying what it what it is because I don't know what it actually is. Uh, but the ancient word for dog meat, there was a there was the sign, the mm-hmm. the pictogram. Yep. yep, yep. And the old ca- Chinese character meaning to burn or to roast mm-hmm. is the sign for dog meat. Over a fire, yeah, I can see that you included the Chinese characters yeah, here, on which the isn't script. that cool? They're really, look- yeah, that's so cool. Like, I mean, I, it's not it's sad, but it's cool. Let's talk about dog burials, burials so, for dogs, burials for dogs. Yeah, so I mentioned at the at the top of the episode that I was going to talk about Siberian dogs some more, and mm-hmm. uh, now is that time. So in 2013, um, there was. A discovery at the Ust Poloi archaeological site in Salahard, Russia. So this is in Siberia. Okay. Um, it's close to the Arctic Circle. And Chile. So it's quite all the time. And so Robert Losey, the archaeologist at the University of Alberta in Canada, he, um, he said that the role of dogs at Ust Poloi is really complex and variable. And the most striking thing about the dog remains here is that they are really abundant compared to all other sites in the Arctic. So most sites usually only have a few dog remains, 10 at most. But at this site, there's over 115 dogs represented. So many dogs. Yeah. And so these weren't necessarily, this wasn't like a dog cemetery. These these, um, remains were dated to around 8,000 years ago. Um, and the bones, uh, revealed that the dogs were similar to Siberian Huskies, but a little bit smaller. So they weighed less than 22 kilograms, which is 50 pounds, which my dog weighs eight pounds. (laughs) So like this dog, oh "Oh, yeah, definitely small. Six of her. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So among the 115 individuals of dog that were discovered in the in the environs of Uspoloi, um, many of those bones displayed cut marks. Right, um, so butchery. Yeah, so it looked like they had been like butchered and processed that way, and they were scattered around the site, like just like bones from birds and deer. So they think that part of what the dogs were was food, okay. but then also some of those may have been consumed as part of some kind of ritual or a feast or some kind of sacrifice. Um, and so Losi, the, the, the PI on this project says that it seems to be confirmed by the discovery of, uh, the heads of 15 dogs piled together. And yeah, that seems a bit deliberate. Yeah. And, and then if you haven't been turned off already and are sensitive to dog damage, please fast forward 15 seconds, at least all of them had their brain cases broken open in the same way. So it was probably some kind of ritual. Yeah. Like some kind of ritual consumption. So there's there's a, a large body of literature on sacrifice and things in Siberia. Uh, but in 2016, the same team 
in the same area of Siberia. So they found the remains of five dogs that are dated to 2,000 years ago. So these okay. are five dogs that came 6,000 years after the 115. All, all those dogs. Yeah. But it's a totally different situation. They'd been buried together very carefully in a group near the edge of the site. Their skeletons were whole and had been placed in a shallow pit. They were laid on their sides and there were no signs that they had been intentionally killed or like any kind of bone processing. Times change in 6,000 years. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, there was the earlier side story about how it was on its side, like it was sleeping. So they may have yeah. done that with these. And so dogs have been pulling sleds for a long, long time. So maybe they were doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been um, discovery of, of sleds and car- carved bone knife handles that, that look like they have um, a representation of a dog pulling a sled um, or a dog in a harness. But they also may have been used for hunting. Just like now. Yeah. And so even today, there are communities around Uspoloi that use dogs as shepherds, as reindeer shepherds. Oh. Yeah, I know, right? Um, so, you know, 6,000 years, same general area, um, same kinds of dogs. Major cultural maybe difference. Maybe same kinds of people, totally different relationship with them, uh, yeah. which, is, which is really cool. Um, and then I've got one more dog burial, which is the most majestic of dog burials. I'm really excited and for this one. So this is um, the... Uh, man... You just wanted me to say more Egyptian words, but we've got... You got me. We got this guy. We got this little guy. His name is transliterated to A-B-U-W-T-I-Y-U-W. And I looked up the, just like I did before, I looked up the... For, for um, Tutankhamun, which is not pronounced Tutankhamun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the IPA pronunciation seems to be Bwit-U. Bwit-U. That's not, it doesn't trip you. off the tongue so well. It's not what I'd want to yell if he runs away. And so so this little guy, Bwitu, um, is believed to have been a royal guard dog who lived in the 6th dynasty. The pharaoh whom he protected seemed to be very taken with him, but we don't know who it was. What a good boy. He was a very good boy. And so he received an elaborate ceremonial burial in the Giza necropolis. It's funny that we, we don't know the name of the pharaoh, but we know the name of his dog. Yeah. He's a good boy. <laughs> He's such a good boy. Um, so Bwitu <laughs> appears to have been a sight hound. And so it's a lightly built hunting dog similar to a greyhound mm-hmm. with erect ears and a curly tail. And so he was a, a tessim. And uh, a tessim is a, an extinct breed of dog. I've seen relief relief images of, of dogs like that with the curly tail and yeah. like jackal so, ears. Yeah, right. Yeah. So Anubis, not a dog. Nope. Anubis, jackal. Um, so the, Actually, the t- I, I read something that suggest that actually anubis was was more likely to be modeled on a wolf but uh they just had never seen a wolf no no um because you see in east asian art tigers and things drawn by people that oh have yeah never yeah. seen one you're like that cat looks busted um, oh yeah like, like medieval drawings of elephants where it's like oh so close <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah where it's just like somebody described it to you and you're like okay can i can i can i bust in here for a second uh because i just looked it up to see if i was crazy or not 
it turns out that there's an article in the journal Plus One that uh, found that the Egyptian jackal is Africa's only member of the gray wolf family. Interesting. So yeah. So DNA matching uh, confirmed that that the jackal, the Egyptian jackal, is actually a wolf. So in fact, Anubis is a wolf-headed god. You can impress people at parties with that fact. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> Yeah, okay. so I'm sorry, yeah. continue. Okay, so we've got a new squared away. But so the, the Tessin was the sight hound. Then there's the pariah dog, which is, which is, it also looks like, I don't, it looks like a less furry sight hound. Um, okay. Like they don't, they, they look different in Egyptian drawings, but the description doesn't make them sound different to me. So these are the dogs that like eat trash. They're just street dogs, like how you have Satos in, um, yep. in Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico, yep. Uh, some of my favorite dogs oh, are Satos. They're so sweet. Shout out to my Satos. There are three of them listening. Uh, <laughs> you're all good girls. So lots of dog literature in Egypt. Doggerel. <laughs> um, and so something that classically minded folks may have seen is in the house of the tragic poet in Pompeii, there's a mosaic on the floor. That has a dog. It features a dog that looks like it's doing a play bow. I know, to me, it looks, it's doing a play yeah. bow and wagging its tail, and it's on a chain. And below it, it says Kawe Kanem, uh, which is beware of dog. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's that's very typical of of our like yours and my specific reaction to dogs, where it's like fierce dog baring teeth, and we're like puppy. Yeah. Wanna yeah. play? Yeah. So I don't know if this dog is snarling or if it's like play bowing. But, I think he's meant to be a fierce, a fierce boy. Well, maybe his name was fierce because other than Wit you, we have tons of dog names at our disposal. If any of you out there are new, new doggy parents and looking for, looking for good things to name them, well, we have some good things. Some we've, we've got, we've got some things that you some can things. name your dogs. Yeah. Um. So, in England. I know I'm I'm treading back into Tudor England, but um, there were dogs in the Tudor period that had names like Sturdy, Whitefoot, Hardy, Jacka, or Jack. Yeah, it's like Jake Jack. with two K's. Yeah, J A K K E. Uh, Bo and Terry with an I. <laughs> Here's my dog Karen. Yeah. Um, and Anne Boleyn. Uh, one of the wives of King Henry VIII, who who had who gave birth to Elizabeth the First, who was played by Kate Blanchett. Yep, Ooh, still got it. Nailed um, it. She had a dog named Percoy, who got its name from the French Pourquoi because he was very inquisitive. Pourquoi, pourquoi? Except the British slash English went Percoy because Percoy, Percoy, be- because a fillet I get is it. a fillet. <laughs> um and in the early 15th century edward duke of york apparently did not have all of his time filled by duking uh because he wrote the master of game which which sounds like a a pickup pickup artist artist. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but in it in the master of game he explains how dogs are to be used in hunting and taken care of also uh, for reference, he included a list of 1,100 names that he thought would be appropriate for hunting dogs. So, like, he really did not know what to do with his time. Yeah. So, these names include Troy, Nosewise. That's a good one. Amiable. I'm guessing Nameless 
Yeah, it or, has one. It has yeah. one S. So it, otherwise, it's Namelis <laughs> or Namle. Um, clinch. <laughs> Brag. <laughs> Ringwood and Holdfast. <laughs> I mean, Holdfast is a very hunting dog name. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Um, meanwhile. <laughs> This is my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Your dogs clench and heave. <laughs> and perkoy. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, over in Switzerland, um, mm. there was a list of 80 dogs that took part in a shooting festival. People were shooting. And they weren't shooting dogs. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of ambiguity in that statement. Um, this was in 1504. Um, the most popular name among those uh, was first, forced, well, forced prince. Yeah. Oh, um, like other name Duke or Fido. Yeah, Duke. It's very- Duke. Uh, uh, other names included Venus, Fortuna, and Turg. <laughs> Spelled T U R G K. So I think it might be I- Turk. Turk. It's probably just Turk. Yeah. Some dogs got their, oh, here, okay, cute alert. Some dogs got their names from the work being done by their humans. So there's there's Hemmerly, Little Hammer, who belonged to a locksmith. And and a wagoner had Spechli, which means little spoke. That's why Calypso was almost named Little MacBook. (laughs) This is my dog, Baby Blogger. (laughs) (laughs) so we did this i hope you enjoyed all this we did this episode uh partially because we are in the uh, dog days of summer um here on the east coast but i'm on the west coast yeah which is just on fire so yeah they're not neither is ideal neither is ideal but also the other reason that we decided to do this was because the movie alpha just came out which is all about well, a fictional version. Of Which I definitely thought dog. was like a Jack Reacher type movie. <laughs> but it's, it's not. not. It's not at all. So I went to go see it on Tuesday. And um, first of all, if you study the Paleolithic or are interested in the Paleolithic in any way, go see Alpha. It's beautifully done. So it's set in Europe 20,000 years ago. And the premise is that there's a group of uh, Homo sapiens, early Homo sapiens, and um, one of them gets a young a young man gets separated from his clan when they go for the big hunt, the big seasonal bison hunt, and he has to find his way home uh, before the winter snows hit. And along the way, he befriends a wolf, and dogs happen. So that that part <laughs> of the plot, like the 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 impetus for this for this show, this particular episode, that part of the plot actually I thought was the weakest part of the whole movie. The dog um, part? The dog part. I mean, it's the wolf is a wonderful character, and everyone in the movie is so good. Like, the actors are all so good. And the thing is, that part of the plot seems the weakest because everything else is... All the other details are so cool. So, first oh, okay. of all, one of the first scenes that you see i mean you you see this landscape it's i it must be at least partially computer generated but you see this landscape and i mean the things that are definitely computer generated are some of the animals like woolly rhinos and mammoths and stuff tromping by 
But one of the first scenes you see is of a group of people sitting around a fire and flint napping. And as soon as it started zooming in on on that scene, I was like, I know that sound. Like the it's a really distinctive like tink 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 of of flint napping. And and they whoever the consultant consultants were for this movie, they did a really good job. They did their homework. It's better than ten thousand BC. Oh, wow. The documentary Ten Thousand BC. <laughs> wow. <laughs> This one's a documentary. Whoa. <laughs> I did it. We got to go. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Don't you have another? I do. Another yeah, so medium? This, that you, you... Dog-based so this, medium? <laughs> so this sort of leads me to a final mention of, of another uh, thing that you could consume if you are interested in, in this topic, which is the book The Invaders by Pat Shipman. And it is, it's a nonfiction book, but it's, it's more of a popular science book. It's written for uh, the average audience. And it is the, uh, the premise of it is that humans are essentially an invasive species. So uh, in every sense, when we moved into a niche in the Paleolithic, we outcompeted the other uh, hominins, so Neanderthals. Uh, we outcompeted the other groups, and, and that's why Neanderthals went extinct. And the the major thrust of the book is that dogs are one of the main reasons, the working relationship between humans and dogs is one of the main reasons why humans were successful enough to outcompete um, groups that didn't have dogs. So it, it's an interesting read. I would recommend it. It's well-written, and I enjoyed reading it. Um, I, I'm still not sure what I think about, about that premise, but um, the book presents some really interesting arguments. So I would recommend giving that a read. We will list it on our show notes. So thank you so much for listening. We have Amber, you want to do, do you want to do our shout outs this week? Yeah, we have two new patrons. Bow, bow, bow. Um, <laughs> you get air horns. <laughs> I'm so mad that we finally used the air horn and it was you and not me. <laughs> Would you like to air horn? No, you already did it. So thank you to our newest patrons, Nathan and Claire. Thanks, Nathan and Claire. Oh, gosh, you guys are so great. <laughs> uh, and thank you. And thank you also. Uh, I don't I didn't get your your actual name on Twitter, uh, but your handle was Bacon Sakana uh, well, for tweeting at us. Sakana. Yeah. Sir Francis Bacon Sakana. Oh, well, if that is your real name, awesome. Uh, if not, thank you, whoever you are, uh, for tweeting at us with information about Hawaiian history. And they're, they're a U.S. history teacher. So, Oh, um, awesome. Yeah, that was really great. Thank you so much. And um, when we eventually do an episode uh, on Hawaiian history, we will uh, use some of that. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The Dirt. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and wherever else you get your podcast fix. And you can follow us on Facebook at The Dirt Podcast. On Twitter, we're at Dirt Podcast. On Instagram, we're at The Dirt Pod. And you can see my adorable dog talking to herself on there. Um, or you can just see all of that on our website at thedirtpod.com. Yeah. And if you have thoughts about your dog, oh my God, if you have dog pictures, send us all your dog pictures. You can do that uh, to our email address at thedirtpodcast at gmail.com. I think we can let the a cat out of the bag on this one. Oh, yeah. Never what are we talking about next week? Never fear, cat people. Your day will come. Next week, we're talking about cats. Oh, yeah. But until then. Woof. We love you. Bye. Bye.